Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is There Will Be Movies, a podcast detailing some of our favourite movies of a given decade. This is volume one, so we're going to do the 2000s, 2000, 2009. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined for this, as always, by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you today? I'm good. I stayed up till one in the morning watching one of the movies we're going to discuss today. Well, you made your own scheduling choices. You had all week to watch these movies. If you would like to know the rules on how we came to these decisions and what sort of weird wonderful caveats and rules we came up with do listen to episode zero available on entotherealworld.com soundcloud.com slash Matt. it's all there we'll try and make sure it's pinned prominently everywhere just because we don't want to take 10 minutes to explain how we came up with this list every single episode but that is there for you this is episode three this is training day which is another pick by me every time it's one that i put on the list i feel incredibly defensive because i'm aware that we left a lot of movies off our list in order to include some of our personal favorites but they're personal favourites, so screw it. I like movies that are set in the course of a day. De- like, I like gimmicky movies, you know, like, this whole film takes place in real time. This whole film takes place in one day. This whole film takes place in one location. You know, that kind of shit. So, yes, normally this movie does take place over one day. Yes. But there's one point where they just go for lunch, and then the movie's just like, and then they fell asleep for a little bit. And the and sun a- seems to go down a bit, but then there's still, like, a lot left of the day. De- I'm yeah. not saying that's the only reason I like, that's not, like, why I put this on this list, because, you know, Go is a perfectly fine movie that came out I believe in the 2000s it's just that is something I generally like I put it on because of Denzel this performance as Alonzo is amazing he got the Oscar yeah this is just always something that I've always thought man that was a cool movie I don't really have anything deep and meaningful to say about it it's just I think it's kind of fun and I like Denzel in it quite a lot directed by Antoine Fuqua unfortunately none of his other movies were even remotely in consideration for our list of this decade Bait Tears of the Sun King Arthur that was a bad version of King Arthur Shooter which is in places it's dumb fun and Brooklyn's Finest which I saw once and remember almost nothing about but yeah none of those were even remotely going to be on the list. David Ayer wrote it. I think this might be David Ayer's only good script because fuck end of watch personally. (laughs) Of all the people we've had doing movies and like obviously we've had scripts by very sketchy writers doing superhero movies just just because they do hire some bad people quite often for superhero movies. David Ayer has not got a particularly strong... No. Did Fury just get him a bunch of clout? Like I don't particularly like Fury but who knows. I mean Fury's probably his like best movie he directed Mm. it has a stronger Rotten Tomatoes score however that much that means than this movie well fine (laughs) he also he wrote Fast and Furious but like that is not the script that people really like Fast and Furious people didn't start liking Fast and Furious until 3 and then (laughs) 5 yeah it's like it's like 3 everyone's like but even then 3 was like a a not particularly big movie 3 was like a cult favourite people like you know that 3 is kind of alright you know and then people like yeah whatever and then 5 and then I I saw 4 and I was like this movie is so dull I don't know how they're going to make this interesting again and then I didn't see 5, 6, 7 or 8 and now it's the biggest franchise in the world I don't understand why it, oh, that, this is a, for another podcast that we will never make Justin Lin did it Justin Lin good director we like him okay so this was released in October 2001 so Ben why don't you uh, we have a new year now so 2001 a new year why don't you contextualise that one for us in 2000 the highest grossing movie of the year was Mission Impossible 2 we start to see a shift in tides towards what Hollywood looks like now with the, the new box office top 10. So this is the worldwide top 10 for 2001. And number 10, we've got Hannibal, which is bad. Yeah. Number nine, we've got Planet of the Apes, which is bad. Yeah. Number eight, we've got Jurassic Park 3, which is bad. 
Yeah. Number seven, The Mummy Returns, which is fine. It's mm, not good. <laughs> Number six, we've got Pearl Harbor, which is bad. Yes. Number five, we've got Ocean's Eleven, which we may be discussing imminently. Yes. Mark Wahlberg dropped out of Ocean's Eleven to be in Planet of the Apes, by the way. <laughs> Solid decision. <laughs> and then we get the top four, which is kind of like the top four that kind of change where cinema goes. At number four, you've got Shrek, which obviously completely fucks over how you cast voice talent for animated movies going forward. Mm-hmm. Number three, you've got Monsters, Inc., which isn't high-level Pixar, but you start to see Pixar's dominance with, like, after Toy Story, Bugs Life, and Toy Story 2. I like Monsters, Inc. Number two, you've got Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. They're kind of big movies, I think. Maybe. I've heard Maybe. something I've to heard. that effect. And then number one, a little tiny movie called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Wow. Harry Potter yeah. did better than Lord of the Rings. Wow, okay. Well, I mean, I guess you got that family I mean, audience, be... but yeah. Harry Potter was huge. I mean, I know that, but it still kind of shocks me that Harry Potter beat out both Shrek and Lord of the Rings. I mean, one, this is but... this is world this is worldwide. Right, let's have a look at domestic and see whether or not like there's a shift. Yeah, no, Harry... Harry Potter is still number one. You go domestic. Wow. Um, Shrek does outgross Monsters Inc. at domestic low. Number five is Rush Hour Two, though. Oh man! So that is that is the shape of like the popular movies in two thousand one. As for Oscars, you have Moulin Rouge, which we did have in contention at one point, I believe, for the list. Again, you could have pushed harder for some of your favourites. I could have pushed harder. Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I don't think they're ever going to go all the way though. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that franchise will win the many Oscars. No. Uh, in the bedroom, Gosford Park, and then the winner, the quite frankly awful, A Beautiful Mind, which was never in contention for this list. <laughs> and finally, we'll contextualise it with actual good movies that came out in 2001 Mulholland Drive which I could have fought for you gave it a rugged go <laughs> I did but I watched it it's it's really good but no there are a ton little... of movies where we're like this is good but I don't particularly want to talk about it on the podcast so it's like ah. yeah <laughs> Spirited Away which was on the list we'll cover Spirited Away in a different <laughs> podcast that in a different no podcast fucking sense to most people except Ben's beautiful mind no I don't have a beautiful mind okay. it's a bad movie AI artificial intelligence uh, we decided another Spielberg movie even though AI is really good Ichimama Tampien which I adore but again I prefer another Quaron movie from this decade Amelie oh god again Lord of the Rings which relationship with the ring keeps coming up weird people think it's good this is the only movie that is on the highest grossing the most acclaimed and on the Oscar list Moulin Rouge is like just underneath it on the most acclaimed list but like Fellowship of the Ring is the only movie that hits the trifecta of all three of these things but the movie we discussed today as you said is Training Day which came out in 2002 February of 1st in the UK sure but 2001 but 2001 US, for like yeah. music because we're being very confusing with how we're doing this but the order yeah. we're doing because this came out in the first weekend in February in the UK uh, opening weekend in the UK it grossed about a million pounds or million dollars because everything's confusing that's cute yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's that whole thing where, like, we're going to release a movie set in South Central LA in February in the UK. Yeah. It's kind of an Oscar player, but not really. Sure. But it opens behind Shallow Howl and Gosford Park. <laughs> Number two is Lord of the Rings Fellowship, Fellowship of the Ring. Of course. <laughs> Of course, because it, it will be on every list that we discuss. But number one is Vanilla Sky. Oh, <laughs> uh, we already did Cameron Crowe, so that's fine. We already did a Cameron Crowe, but yeah, so that that is the year that was. That is contextualization for the UK. Training Day, not the best opening you could hope for this movie, but it makes sense in that the UK does not have the kind of relationship with this kind of culture that 
No. America does. No. Well, while it didn't make a huge amount of money in the UK on its opening weekend, it did make $104.5 million at the box office in general against a $45 million budget. So a modest hit. Our first of those so far, because Memento, <laughs> tiny budget, didn't do all that well, and uh, Almost Famous was a commercial flop. So there's that. David Ayer wrote a first draft of this in like 1995, which was actually a few years before the Rampart scandals like went fully public and a lot the character of Alonso was originally going to be of Latino persuasion which is a nod to Rafael Perez who was you know very involved in all that and Desert Washington actually fashioned his look slightly after Perez so there's that. Davis Guggenheim was set to direct with Samuel L. Jackson and Matt Damon as the stars but then when uh, Denzel Washington secured the role of Alonso he basically quietly said can we replace this director, please? And you cut Anton Fuqua. Bruce Willis was also considered for Alonso. But far more interesting, I think, are the people who were considered for Jake Hoyt. Christian Bale turned this down. Eminem turned this down. So oh, he can God. Make, yeah, so he can make 8 Mile. And when you consider who else is in this, namely Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Macy Gray, they, also, they almost had that trio of rappers there. Mark Wahlberg was considered as he is considered for fucking everything. Tobey Maguire tried really, really hard to get cast as Jake Hoyt, and he actually, like, did two months undercover with a cop and stuff, and gained a bunch of weight to try and, like, man up for it, and, like, the second Ethan Hawke became available, they were like, no, bye, 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 bye. Anton Fuqua wanted to cast Mickey Rourke as Roger, but that went to Scott Glenn. Go to EnterTheRealWorld.com and listen to Countdown to Destruction, where you can hear me and Ben talk about the wonderful show that is The Leftovers and all of our thoughts on Scott Glenn. Did you did you have the realisation that you knew who Scott Glenn was in the middle of the podcast? Yeah, kind of, because obviously this... I remember this character of Roger very vividly. I was like, he's this kind of, like, old but kind of cool white dude in a vest. And, like, I, that's very memorable. And then I'd seen him as Stick in Marvel, and it was like, this is a completely different human being. No twigging that it's the same person. But then I knew that Stick was in The Leftovers, and then when I was watching The Leftovers, I was like, he's in fucking training day. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, that all snapped into place for me very nicely. And, like, you know, the legacy of this movie is, is Denzel's, you know, Oscar win, which was a big surprise, because Russell Crow was winning everything heading up to Oscars for Beautiful Mind and weirdly like Denzel was submitted for best leading actor while Ethan Hawke was submitted for supporting but Ethan Hawke is actually in the movie for longer than Denzel is I mean what Denzel Washington is first build yeah it's the big sexy performance the movie is sort of all centered around him and it worked out for the best because it's like he won Ethan Hawke didn't Denzel is, to this day, the only two-time African-American winner. He's the only two-time African-American winner who's one lead actor. It's also the first time that a black actor won for a movie directed by a black director. So there you go. Let's talk about the movie, though. So the first act, very much just sort of learning who these people are, and right from the off, the sort of intensity of Alonzo sitting in that diner as Hoyt is sitting there sort of nervously jabbering away at him, and he's just like, all right, tell me a fucking story. If you're not going let me read my paper you have to tell me a story and you learn a lot about both of these people immediately and like his whole thing of like going along with the story and being a little bit playful and then just being like so you were like riding around with this woman for a year and this is the best story you have and it's like oh so that's where your priorities are and just he's intimidating immediately and charismatic as fuck when his, his whole thing about you know pay the bill like your dick's in the middle your pockets either side reach into one of them pay the bill boom here's Alonzo and then driving off to still 
dry and all this shit. And I think they do a really good job. They kind of hit you with this one-two punch all the time of he's wildly unprofessional and kind of a dirtbag. <laughs> but then he will follow that up with like, right, here are all the like hours of prison time I've dished out. Here are all of the offices I oversee. Here are all the cases I'm currently investigating. And it's like, they're not trying to say like, oh, but he is a really good cop. It's just, it's not that he's just a wildly corrupt, like criminal with a badge type thing. Like he is also on some level like engaging in police work and he is at least knowledgeable about what his job should be. I do kind of wish that they had done more to show his actual good police work because like, obviously the movie goes a long way to like he just kind of states all his stats but we don't actually get a chance that like, every single time that they do do something to do with police work it's kind of over the top or he lets them go at the end or yeah. all these kind of other little things. I just kind of wish there was that like opportunity where they had like the one legal unqu- unquestionable kind of like good bust it's just you get the scene where with the with the kids college, the college kids where he scares them and the attempted rape and he scares them and yeah. it's like I wish the one of these they decided to turn into like a legitimate he does good cop work just to show it a bit more balanced but I mean as you say like Denzel Washington is such a force in this like this is the first movie that we're discussing that is so fundamentally like an actor's movie yeah, because yeah. I mean like if you the last two movies that we've done Memento and was Famous both got screenplay nods they're both very much like the director's vision whereas this movie is so dominated by Denzel it's insane like he kind of overpowers everything else I'm sure it wasn't written to be a star vehicle but that is what it ended up being it's like come to see Denzel and like if you enjoy anything else in it good for you kind of thing Um, I mean this is kind of where they cement Denzel will get Oscar nomination it doesn't really matter what the role is I mean because what a couple years ago he got that nomination for Roman J. Israel Esquire and it's like (laughs) no one fucking saw that movie but he got an Oscar nomination for it which is insane but this movie just cements him so much as like the preeminent African American talent whether or not you think he's like the best actor or the actor most deserving of it is a different question like he is a force of nature in this movie you get like the power play shit with him making Jake smoke a good narcotics officer should know narcotics and like you know should should have them in his blood and he makes Jake smoke weed he literally holds a gun to him and then after he does it and he complains about it he's like you're an adult it's not like I put a gun to your head but then he gives him the smile so it's like one of the things I do like about it like it isn't necessarily the tightest script in the world but there are three or four instances where they really foreshadow things and things do come back to pay off and I think that's necessary if you're going to have a film set over the course of one day like this and like the intensity of where this goes so like him getting him high now is clearly a premeditated thing to help him out much later but you wouldn't know that at this point so at the time it's just like oh look at this power play like he's just testing him and making him do dumb shit just to see if he'll do it and all this but I do appreciate that about it the moment that he starts to kind of like space out and it's like oh he's not spacing out in a in a weed way he's spacing out in a yeah, <laughs> in it, something else it's laced with PCP is the yeah and you but you get this long list where like Denzel Washington just lists the different names for PCP yeah. and Didn't that should you like to get wet though yeah <laughs> like, that line that line shouldn't work but Denzel makes it work but it's such a, like a thing where like I'm sure in the script it's just like why are you listing these yeah. like eight names for this drug <laughs> there's a reason that David Ayer wasn't nominated for a best screenplay nomination this year yes Denzel is either he's improvising a lot he is taking bad lines and making them work and yeah it's it's entirely about him you mentioned you wish that they had more of showing Alonzo as a good cop kind of thing and the closest they really get is so that he takes Jake to see Roger Scott Glenn you know he remembers him as a high school football player and like he is impressed by his little fucking bullshit thing about smiles and cries while he's high but 
the interesting things here are one they allude to the trouble with the russians that that is alluded to like two or three times before we fully understand what it is but the other thing is he claims that alonzo used to be a lot like jake and he used to be very enthusiastic and very like heroic and all this stuff and there isn't enough evidence but i think that's the closest they get to what you're talking about where it's like alonzo used to be a fully righteous man who was just out there trying to stop every crime and and was leading with his heart and not his head and stuff like that and it's like what they're trying for is you know he has a cautionary tale and like he got too deep into his i think denzel has even phrased it as like he got too good at his job almost and he ended up becoming more extreme than these people he's taking down but yeah that, I mean, that, yeah that's... you get you get the line later on the movie where he's just like do you want them all to kill themselves and he says like let the animals sort yeah, it out yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't view them as people which yeah. i mean is is interesting in terms of like so we're gonna start this do you think this is a pro cop movie uh yeah kind of because jake is so like him like taking his badge and being like you don't deserve to wear this and and like him being the good cop that everyone likes while denzel is the crooked one it's like i feel on some level it's like uh we like cops but this one is is not great but i don't know but then there is that corruption with the three wise there's so, men there's so there's so much corruption in there here is. because all of his team are bad the three wise men are bad and they obviously hold a lot of sway is this movie saying this is a fundamentally corrupt or compromised I think it's that uh, thing of like acknowledging that there is corruption but then trying to give you that hope that like there are some good ones out there and this is what we there are Ethan Hawks in the world who are fighting for yeah and I don't know if it's just like obviously there have always been tensions with police particularly in the area this is set I mean yeah I mean, that's, that's but... what makes it interesting is like they got permission to film in places in this movie yeah. that no previous film had had permission to film before sure. and I think that's interesting in terms of just considering like the people in this movie like Dr. Dre yeah. has a song called Fuck, Fuck the Police, police. <laughs> and like two I mean Ice Cube has played so many fucking policemen at this point like <laughs> fuck that shit <laughs> sure I'm not they, I'm not saying they've got the most intense integrity in the world in terms yeah, of what yeah. doing but like it is interesting that this is the movie that breaks down a lot of those borders i don't know if it's is it because it's the the black director and the black actor in the lead role this is something that understands where the people in this movie come from but then this movie definitely isn't about like the socio-economic reasons behind why the world is like it is yeah. it's very much like a this is a cool fun kind of crime movie i would say that like if you'd asked me that question a few years ago i probably would have answered slightly differently but because the whole hey cops are bad thing has gone a lot more global in the last sort of five five or six years i'd say i now view it through a when i look at their like holier than thou jake who is like righteous and pure and and wins everyone over that does hit me a little bit differently than it used to and it does feel a little bit like propagandary but like as you say there is a great deal of hey look how bad the police are so i don't know that's a that's an interesting one i would say i don't think it particularly comes down on either side which is probably for the best but there's sort of there's definitely elements of both. Yeah, it's not like the movie just kind of goes like, at the end of the day, they purged all the <laughs> bad police from the police force and yeah. it was a good day. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talked about the stopping of the rape and, like, they were just talking about how, like, Ro- Roger said how, you know, he used to be like him and used to, like, be more heroic. The next event is they are, and this is possibly the biggest thing to happen in the movie. It saves, it saves Jake's life, for one thing. They are driving along and Jake witnesses a girl being potentially sexually assaulted in an alleyway and he makes Alonzo pull over so he can intervene. Alonzo just watches him in this two-on-one beatdown and he, he wins and then he walks in. And Alonzo, you know, this is police brutality and he lets them go, which Ethan Hawke has that big, starey, like, dramatic moment. And, you know, they, they establish his catchphrase of you want to go home or you want to go to jail and he does his whole talk about Big Fish 
and little fish and and it's an interesting one and like like i said like i like that this ultimately ends up paying off and like jake's decision to be that cop that wants to put out every flyer ends up benefiting him whereas if if this had been alonzo and he'd driven past alonzo would have been dead in that bathtub later on but denzel in this scene like all the dumb shit he's doing with the guns like scraping them together and all that all improvised all kind <laughs> of great like it's it, it dumb all, it all looks so dumb yeah but it's <laughs> but, great like, though it's like it, it, it was almost like a point that he's not holding them properly i'm like why are your hands kind of like bent at the elbows yeah. when you're like holding the guns yeah. but he does look intimidating i do find it, this this is the first time you get like obviously jake has smoked the, the pcp laced weed at this point yeah. but this is the first time that he does something illegal because he does that chokehold yes um, they didn't teach you that in the academy did that and he's like yeah, oh, yeah i was getting my ass beat and, he's like, and you did what you had to do like, yeah okay, it's go. that kind of thing where like <laughs> they're, they're tr- he's trying to say to him that's like in these circumstances some sometimes you have to do things that are questionably illegal you using that chokehold is the same as me like allowing a murdering drug dealer to like pass me information about other people yeah uh, this is a good time like what do you think about ethan hawke's performance in this i think it's perfectly fine but not noteworthy yeah i, I, mean, I don't think there are i have seen a lot of these kind of movies like i've seen swat i have seen brooklyn's fine it's all this kind of shit there are actors who kind of are cringy in these moments and like you can tell they probably aren't a huge fan of the script or something and it just it feels off he doesn't look or sound uncomfortable and a lot of times he is like the whitest man alive surrounded by a lot of quite surface level still but you know black culture and it's i i think he's fine i don't think he like sticks out or anything but i also don't think he's you know oh my god ethan hawk what a performance for him so much of this is him reacting to stuff exactly yeah. and he reacts well it's just obviously up to this point like probably his best role before this was before sunrise which is this like independent romantic comedy that ultimately ends up spanning decades but mm. i just can't imagine looking at him going like ah oh, yes from before sunrise uh ethan hawk we should get yeah, him like, to be what's this like his ethan hawk could kind of be like a lead action type star and a medium this is, this is when movie they, this is when they started trying it yeah he's, he's done some big things beforehand but obviously after this he's got stuff assault on precinct 13 uh, yeah. and, <laughs> and and like daybreakers is like a few years or like eight years after this but yeah. and he's doing kind of more of these roles and it's interesting that people think that this is what Ethan Hawke's good at and maybe it is because he is fine in this movie and he does play off of Denzel really really well but I just can't imagine going no, from this he's, he's go- good at laughing and sort of being a dick bag but with <laughs> decent enough intentions I mean, it, 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 feels, it feels so much to me kind of like what they do with Colin Farrell which is like <laughs> they keep on trying to push Colin Farrell into these like big budget action movies as like the lead actor and it's like no 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 I want them to do the weird little comedies and independent movies which are dramatic and stuff like that not fucking Bruce I don't, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't need Total Recall Colin Farrell I want improved Colin Farrell we hear at this point a lot of Alonzo's troubling views about criminals and poor people and you know protecting the sheep by going after the wolves but having to be a wolf yourself and all this shit and quoting all these hours of jail time and but then he does say no matter what I say you did the right thing and like do you think that's a sincere comment by him or is he just trying to manipulate and get him back on side maybe a bit of both because mm. obviously like later on in the movie you do get him saying things that obviously don't mean shit yeah and the movie does play it off like he looks sincere when he's doing it so it kind of does 
shade everything else he says in the movie when he does do these little moments of apparent sincerity that you kind of go like oh is how long has he been playing the game that he ends up playing for this whole day like does this involve that or yeah. is he letting his own previous ideals kind of like break through for a second yeah exactly and I don't think we ever really get an answer about that and that's entirely up to each individual person but you could take it both ways I guess so Jake botches the like hilariously botches trying to buy drugs from Snoop Dogg who is a a drug dealer in a wheelchair called Blue and they chase him down and Alonzo shoves a pen down his throat to like make him throw up all these little bags of drugs and threatens him with prison time until he gives up the name of the supplier who's called the Sandman they go over there with a Chinese takeaway menu which they are flashing very quickly and pretending is a warrant uh, and Alonzo essentially robs this drug dealer of $40,000 and then they have to flee the scene as there's a big shootout and you know this is Macy Gray's big scene and I this character really sticks with me just like those nails and like the voice and like all the like fucking cussing out the cops and everything and this is a moment where you know I said how Jake doesn't feel like incredibly embarrassing here but the little fist bump he does with the kid <laughs> the kid by the way will grow up to play um, the young version of Zuri in Black Panther it's Denzel Whittaker that little fist bump is cringy as fuck but I think that's on purpose like I think they do play with his whiteness at times I don't think it's immediately apparent what's going on here because you don't really learn that he stole until a little bit later but like they've gone there ostensibly to try and find this load of drugs and you kind of know something's not right because of them gaining entry unlawfully and like him making Jake wear a jacket that says police on the back and then leaving as quickly as they came and all that and like I just remember this for Macy Gray and that awkward fist bump generally <laughs> yeah I mean like I think Macy Gray is actually kind of good at doing that I don't know how to describe it like addict kind of yeah. strung out person of the, the three that... musicians I think she's clearly the best <laughs> yes I do I do think she is clearly the best the thing I don't get is like how many of these people know Denzel or know Alonzo mm-hmm. when he shows up because obviously we get certain lines like like in the movie where like some people are just like oh it's this dickhead again coming in yeah, yeah, yeah. but like is he aware of Sandman is Sandman one of his when you start to question things like you know he says how he is basically the one that put Blue in the wheelchair and this all ultimately bleeds into his plan and it kind of feels like the entire thing was orchestrated and he knows that Sandman is someone who because the whole point is Sandman's actually in prison and they're searching his house and it's like clearly a guy who is currently in prison is not a threat to be distributing drugs right now so it's like yeah it does feel like a big setup but certainly Macy Gray doesn't know who he is yeah I'm wondering how entrenched in this world because if he's supposed to be undercover he's not particularly good at being undercover that's the thing is like all these drug dealers know him by sight he wears plain clothes but it's like you're not exactly going to be doing stings and (laughs) pretending to like buy drugs and stuff like that if you rock up and like that's the other thing that when Jake tries to buy the drugs off of Blue Denzel is sat in the car next to him well obviously he knows that you're not here to buy drugs if he recognises the other fucking police officer in the car but then is that just a hole in the script is that something Denzel just like improvised or like Anton Fuqua like fed to them during the the shootout just to like make it a little bit more dramatic or something and it's just script inconsistency or is it just like literally a setup of like him going to Blue earlier and being like right I'm going to bring this white boy by tomorrow we're going to do this like I don't know yeah I I just I just find it interesting is that I don't get get how how, because obviously he says like I've got people on the ground kind of like feeding me information and stuff like that and he obviously has a network 
but he's not particularly subtle about it and maybe that is kind of like part of his downfall is that he kind of gets too big for it and kind of is showing his face in places that he really shouldn't show his face yeah and the entire idea at the end is like he's gotten too cocky and he's he's made one too many mistakes and he's assumed he's gonna get out of it and he can't yeah i've sort of said this is where we shift into act two when when alonzo takes him to the jungle not literally the the area they call the jungle i didn't that song play that would have fit in with this movie really well (laughs) bit of guns and roses Harry Cruz flipping pigeons he takes him here so he can bang his mistress Eva Mendez because he says up front I'm married I've got however many sons like if you need if you need to have a son just let me know I can't miss and all that and then he just openly in front of Jake just takes him to his mistress's house so he can bang her and like I I very much appreciate this is the kind of movie that could conceivably have the scene where Jake sat there watching TV with the kid and like the the pictures start shaking and he (laughs) has to like cover the kid's ears and stuff like that I'm glad we don't get that scene we just kind of like fade out the sun moves in the sky a little bit and Alonzo comes to wake them up and it's like oh good we're not going to make this into a comedy bit this is yeah. just he's gone to like bang his mistress in the middle of the day and... it feels like a power move Jake having to sit there and like being brought food and told he can watch cable like he's a child while he's hanging out with the kid like it all feels kind of like Denzel just sort of asserting his power over him or whatever but then this is another thing where this moment that Alonzo probably <laughs> meant as he's either acting selfishly or he's trying to lord it over Jake on some level but this ends up coming back to bite him because this bonding that Jake does with the kid will pay off a bit later on yeah I mean that, that's one thing that I do appreciate about this movie is that like at the end everything does kind of slot into place yes it, it's the sort of ancillary side details where it's a bit like hang on though <laughs> but the yeah. big stuff does genuinely line up you spoke about how they had to get permission to film in certain places this is one of them they had real gang members here and the guy I think he's called Bone the character who does most of the talking he's kind of like a gang movie liaison and like he's a doc- he's become like a documentary filmmaker and stuff like that but he is the one that secured them the permission to work in a lot of these neighbourhoods and his negotiation tactic was I want real gang members to be in your film and apparently everyone was really really nice to them and very accommodating so that's all great and lovely but it does sort of give this a level of authenticity to some degree where you know you see some movies where you get these just such generic like gangster type people and uh we have (laughs) there's a guy in this movie later on who i feel he's been in literally a dozen movies as latino gangster but i feel it does work and like this area does feel dangerous especially to me a middle-class white person so that yeah i i would not go there no, there you go. But um, then I, I wouldn't uh, go anywhere. Yeah, I do have a question. Sure. So what what is David Ayer's kind of relationship to this area? Because okay. um, obviously, like, he writes a lot of movies that are kind of LA set, sure. featuring the police force. And I'm just, I'm just intrigued, because, like, he, he wasn't born there, was he? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm sorry, Ben. In my research for this podcast, I have chosen not to do a deep dive into the <laughs> life and times of David Ayer. He is just one of those guys where it's like, because obviously he is white, and I'm just... Just wondering like apparently he did move to LA and he did have experiences in South Central Los Angeles but it does kind of is this kind of fetishistic is this him trying to draw attention to sure. a thing that he thinks is underrepresented I'm, I'm not sure it's just interesting that David Ayer is the guy writes this genre of movie he's written this movie more than once like end of yeah. watch is suspiciously like training day <laughs> like... yeah um, but he ultimately he keeps coming back to this well but it's just one of those things where like he's not the person who obviously got them permissions to do this stuff it feels like everyone else 
in this movie is the person that got them permissions to do what they do. Don't have a point. It's just yeah, no, it is interesting. They go to meet the three wise men: Harris Eulin, Tom Berenger, and Raymond J. Barry. Who we were talking before we started recording. Like this feels like something that should be because all these guys have played cops in the past, some more famously than others. It kind of feels like this should hit harder than it does. Of like, oh shit, look at their like cool little cast of the high-ranking policemen, the legendary cops who have all this power. And it's like I feel to the average moviegoer, you don't know who at least two of these three men are. Um, Tom Berenger is probably the most famous of the three, but even him, it's not like he's like a, a huge name to people in the year 2001 onwards, but... It feels like it should be people like something like a Dennis Farina, or like people who are like so frequently cops, or like famous for cops, even if it's like TV cops or anything like that, but it mm. feels like they should be going for that kind of archetype. Someone who played a cop on a big TV show for like 10 years or something. I don't yeah, know, exactly. Like, should it have been Michael Chiklis before The Shield had even been made? Who knows? I mean, yeah, like that's, that's the kind of thing that you probably would do nowadays. Like, yeah. if you made this movie nowadays, you probably would go like, oh, let's get Michael Chiklis to yeah. sit on this table and be like the corrupt cop who's managed to weasel his way up the, the chain of command <laughs> in, in the LAPD. Like, it, it, it it's just, it feels stunt casting. And I don't know if that's because this is the kind of scene that nowadays would be so stunt casted. That back in 2001 doesn't need to be. And maybe they weren't even attempting to consciously do that, but who knows. I do appreciate the scene where Alonzo like trades his stolen money for an arrest warrant. We get more allusions to the Russians and like, you know, oh, you should get out of town and you're a dead man walking and all this sort of stuff. I like that they kind of make Alonzo look a little bit silly after every minute of this film, he has been like the undisputed king of his domain kind of thing. And like, no one scares him. He's intimidated of no one. He always feels in control. And you see a little bit here where he is made to look the fool and he has to sort of play nice and kiss ass to these people. And I think that is kind of interesting. Like you said, like, I do kind of wish they'd explored more of this kind of duality of him and like had more stuff with his how he used to be and that kind of thing. But it is nice to see for a moment the facade kind of come down where the three of them are kind of laughing at him and he's the one that's having to kind of kiss some ass. And they, you know, he hints at the stuff with Roger and he's like, oh, I'll just tap, I'll tax one of my own. I'll tax my first account and he's a security risk anyway. And I don't know if they outright tell you it early on or you're going to just infer it before the reveal with Roger, but like, do they like outright say this dude's a drug dealer? Like, I know he like answers that phone that looks very like a burner phone that one would use and he's just saying, I don't know, he, he kind of looks like a criminal, but... I don't think they ever say, but I do think it is heavily implied. They walked into his house and he sniffed yeah. the drugs. I was like, I don't know what this man does, but he's definitely someone who's in the criminal yeah. world. And even if he's only dealing weed. So the studio wanted this scene to be cut, apparently, and Antoine Fuqua insisted on keeping it because it was important to him to show that Alonso is not one rogue cop, that it's known and tolerated. Because these three, we don't know precisely their job titles, but they clearly have a lot of sway and it's sort of he wanted it to be clear that there is a higher level of corruption and Alonso is known about and tolerated so when you were asking earlier about you know what stance is this taking about cops something like this very much comes against the cops you know like I don't know if the studio wanted to take it out because of that I think they thought it was just boring but it is interesting it's, it's, it's that... interesting because like, I can't imagine taking this scene out because it does kind of explain yeah. all the moves that happen in the second half of the movie mm-hmm. which makes it bizarre to pull it out and it goes like oh and then they just go bust Roger's house well I'm sure they would have come up with some weird yeah. 
sure. It's just bizarre that they would go from like. Yeah, I think they were just like, no, we don't want these three white men in a like gentleman's club smoking cigars and like giving him a warrant. We want more like on the streets. Like, <laughs> I don't know. They assemble along those little team of, of dudes, which include Dr. Dre giving a frankly terrible performance. Um, <laughs> and that dude that's always like a henchman on a criminal crew. I don't know his name, but they siege Roger's house. They take a percentage of. He has a huge amount of money buried under his kitchen, which they dig up and they they divvy out. Jake is not into this. Like, he's visibly shaken when they storm the place, but then he sort of remains professional. But then when they start handing the money out, he's like, well, we can't do this. Like, I'm not taking it. And, you know, Alonzo's like, I'll hold on to your share. Does he know that they're going to Roger's house? No, definitely not. He's shocked when he sees him. Yeah, I mean, it's just just weird, though, because it's like, is it it the implication that, like, he was too high earlier? I think so, yeah. Because that's the other thing, like, surely he'd remember, but... Yeah, and also he's being driven around. He's not, like, driving himself, so, like... You're not taking any locations quite as much. Exactly, yeah, but Alonzo kills Roger. He wants Jake to do it. And then they do this whole setup of like, let's make it look legit. You know, you came through the door, you took fire, so that he has to shoot Roger's gun at his friend and he accidentally shoots him and all this sort of stuff. And then he afterwards he's like fine. I mean, but the whole thing the whole thing with the with bulletproof vests is they can only take one bullet. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. Like they're risking this very they're not, much. They're not good cops. I think so in this whole scene, like Roger is like really calm throughout all of this. Like he's not that shot. He's more like irritated than he is like furious. And do you know what I think he can weirdly pull off is this kind of white guy talking a bit black kind of thing in a way that I don't think many people can pull off and it's not wise to even attempt it. But I think he sort of makes it work when he's talking about the streets and, and all this different stuff. I don't know. It's maybe Scott Glenn is just a charismatic enigma, but it kind of works for me. And like him taking it all in stride and he's laughing right up until he actually gets shot. Like even when they're talking about, yeah, you should shoot him and, and Jake goes you know he like aims the gun and he's like boom and stuff like that and then when he actually it's like does he really think does, does he think he's going to get out of this fight like, I he... think I think he does think he's going to yeah. get out of this I think I think the whole thing is him watching Alonso kind of like play Jake exactly. on this kind of thing is, is him going like oh he's just sticking around and he's going to let me live and I'll just go to prison for a little bit we get that it's not what you know it's what you can prove line which will be repeated later when Jake is like refusing to go along with it Alonso like does the this little impression of what the news coverage will be like when Jake is killed and all of that and I think possibly my favourite instance of things coming back this is almost word for word what is said about Alonzo at the end of the movie I think that's really smart this is my first kind of like big query with the movie which is they do this big bust they call in the other cops obviously the cops come in and they must kind of shrug off the fact that like even though they say shots fired it's all happened in the last five minutes they've managed to dig a hole in the kitchen and (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. dig up all the drugs that's Um, true (laughs) but it's more about the fact that like any police officer who has in any way been in a firearm incident in a firearm fight would be taken away for questioning by the DAs and internal affairs and and, like psyche balance stuff like that and yet and yet (laughs) this is the whole Hollywood's like what cops are like thing uh, definitely for sure like, I don't think police realism was a high uh... sure but the, the movie kind of tries to have its cake and eat it because they're just like oh you're going to have to do a blood test and you're going to prove positive PCP yeah because Jake like... turns the gun and is like you know trying to turn this situation and then and Alonso like him flipping it back around you know he tries to justify it all and, and everything but you know he, he flips it back around by going like you know you're going to be piss tested and you were smoking PCP this morning and I can help you 
if you go along with this, but this is how he is throughout. He tries multiple avenues. Like, he tries to just reason with him and be like, you know, he's not going to do it, it's all fine. And then when that's clearly not true, it's like, all right, fine, I'll make the threat instead. And that does work. But that's how Alonso is throughout the whole thing. He just runs through his little playbook of, of options. It's like, all right, one didn't work, let's go to two. All right, now let's try three. So this is where we get, like, the other members of the gang try and turn <laughs> on Jake because Jake holds the gun to Alonso's head after he kills Roger and Alonso manages to talk Jake out of killing him. Jake punches Dr. Dre in the face. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan <laughs> But then we go to the car, and this is where we start to get, like, how sincere is Alonso being? Because we get yes. this long speech about how he's going to help him with the piss test and all these other things, and why it's a bad idea to not have him on his side and stuff like that. How Roger is, like, one of the biggest drug dealers in LA, and he sold weed to kids, and... But then we immediately shift into Alonso driving Jake to his death. Yeah, and, like, he actually, if you pay attention, he, like, he's on the phone in the car, and he's, like, knocks on the roof to tell Jake to get in he's saying something about make sure the bathtub is clean and it's like you won't have any clue what that means unless you've seen the movie already but this is probably my favourite little scene look is when Alonzo takes him to like this Hispanic gang neighbourhood ostensibly to drop off food and electronics which is something he he told him about earlier that he takes stuff to witnesses and families of witnesses and victims and stuff and you know he's like oh I'm just gonna take a piss but then he's just left in there to be killed by these people people and like the uncomfortable silence of the poker scene they they do the whole let's play cypress hill and have all these like real vicious looking thugs like mean mugging at camera and stuff like that and they head inside but it's it's when it all the music is gone and jake is just in the kitchen with these three and he's trying to be cool about it and i think ethan hawk does a really good job here of apparently fuqua like gave this this trio of actors some instructions that he didn't make Ethan Hawke privy to. So they're like saying and doing things that he wasn't aware of because he wanted this to look really, really uncomfortable. And it is. And I think it's probably the most successfully probably directed scene in the film of, of just these three. Like it starts off kind of friendly and then it's like, we're going to fuck with you a little bit, but then we're going to still be friendly. And then it fucking turns. Yeah. Like everything kind of like elevates up to each other, which is like, it, it helps that you've got three quite charismatic actors. Like Cliff Curtis is really good in this scene. Raymond Cruz is really good. <laughs> Famous Hispanic man Cliff Curtis, who has also played a Middle Eastern man at least once in his career. Yes, Cliff Curtis is ambiguously ethnic. People don't know what Maori-ish New Zealand people are, so they can be anything. But no, they're all really, really good, and you kind of get this snow build across the entire scene, which is like, I want to see your gun. And he goes like, oh, is it like this gun? And then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, okay. And he like, you know, flips the bullet out. I guess he's trying to like, be like, hey look, I could fuck you all up if I needed to. But then he's also doing it because I'm going to hand you this gun I don't want you to have it loaded but he shoots him in the ass because they know that he's going to take the bullet out yeah. so they take the bullets off of him and yeah. keep them away from and him they're so like he can't actually... in the middle like they're tossing him around the kitchen and stuff and then but they do end up giving him the gun back he's got the one bullet but yeah. that's all he's got but obviously he doesn't have time to fire it he does the whole like and um, kicks the knees the table yeah, into yeah, yeah. <laughs> Raymond Cruz's face and punches Cliff Curtis but there's no way he's getting out of there no realizing the car is gone and you know Alonso's just been gone for a long time and then he realizes the car's gone on and then it's like right he doesn't freak out like he does try and and he's got to be mentally like calculating what the fuck do I do and for it to go from there and like you know Smiley reveals the the stuff with the Russians and how Alonso like killed a dude in Las Vegas and now he owes a million dollars to the mafia essentially so they won't kill him so you know we finally get the reveal on that and it's like like Smiley knows a suspicious amount about all of this but who knows it gets more and more uncomfortable but like the thing that saves Jake like they drag into this 
bathtub and they have a shotgun and everything and like they find on his person the wallet of the girl that he prevented from being raped earlier and like Smiley calls her and she, you know, she's his cousin which is convenient as fuck I mean, yeah like I don't I don't mind how convenient it is because yeah. movies like this operate so often on coincidence exactly. being like a saving point I do quibble the execution like I wish it wasn't <laughs> quite how they performed it in this which the is like the nonchalance take... of her being like oh yeah I think they were gonna rape me or something oh well yeah. lol, lol. It's, like, it's, mm. it's like I would prefer it if he dragged her around and there was like some kind of like face to face thing rather than just on the phone her just kind of going like da 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 it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish there was something a little bit more to it like I I'm kinda, not I... yeah I wish she was there in person like visibly recognising him immediately to sort of you know I kind of feel that was not as nuanced as it could have been but it does its job well it gets us into the last act of the movie yeah. but it is just one of those things where it's like it's not that I mind what you've done I just yeah. wish you'd done it better yeah yeah absolutely I love that Jake has to get the fucking bus after this <laughs> he's just <laughs> sitting on a bus playing with a gun it's like okay I mean I guess we're in South Central but whatever so he because he's a dumbass goes back to the jungle where he was told never to go without Alonzo I uh, like the assumption that he knows that so obviously like this is Alonzo's mistress he presumably has a actual wife elsewhere in the city he assumes that Alonzo will go to the jungle which I, ju- I just find an interesting like he's already done his bang with the mistress surely he's going to go home to his maybe, actual wife and actual child maybe Smiley told him I don't, I, I don't fucking know but yeah it is a little bit like hmm so he confronts Alonzo they get in a big shootout they get in a big fight Alonzo basically kicks his ass but not fully but the whole thing of Jake being allowed safe passage in because you know Alonzo claims that you know all these people respect me or whatever but they all fucking hate him they see that Jake is there to kill him so they let him go inside and he is allowed entry into the apartment because the kid remembers him and everything you know we established Jake is the one that is like trying to protect the kid and Alonzo even though this is his fucking son he ends up exploiting it and trying to use it against Jake and he doesn't actually seem overly I mean I'm sure it would bother him if his son was shot but like his priority is himself here and even Mendez did not need to be naked here (laughs) I was literally about to raise that never mind that I guess it's just like because Alonso isn't naked no he is almost fully dressed (laughs) it probably would have been a more artistic statement to have a a naked Alonso here but I'm pretty sure Denzel commands a paycheck enough to not do a full frontal scene I'm upset that Eva Mendes does not but whatever we all make our own choices no one's saying she was forced into it but we went through the credits afterwards and she gets a split title card with the person who plays Lisa Hoyt which who is in one scene (laughs) or technically two I guess but whatever he does the it's not what you know it's what you can prove thing again and you know he points out you have no fucking witnesses like Smiley and all these different people like none of them are gonna fucking testify so even if you like you can't prove any of this shit like this will all bounce off me and Jake has the gun on him and he's like having him put all the weapons away and everything but he still manages to turn that around and they get in this huge fight and Alonzo kicks his ass basically but then he jumps off the fucking roof onto his car as he's trying to drive away which makes him crash Alonzo is attempting to drive to meet the Russians and give 
and all this money he seized from Roger. And, you know, they end up surrounded by all the gang members and Jake shoots him in the ass and <laughs> takes the money and walks away and leaves him ostensibly to be killed by the gang members because the way Alonzo tries to turn it, it's like, you know, you can't take a life, can you? You can't kill And, like, I love that he puts on the medallion, you know, like his little... That you know he never fucking wears because of how he presents himself to the world. But, you know, he puts on his little police shield and he's like, you know, go on, shoot me right here. Shoot me in the head knowing I'm a cop and all that. But uh, Alonzo manages to talk his way out of it in the, like, you know, the big money scene that, you know, they play in all the Denzel Washington montages and all this shit. But It's a good monologue. It is. And he improvised that line of King Kong and got shit on me and then all this stuff. It's really good. Like, this is the scene where you can see why he won the Oscar. Really. I mean, there's moments all throughout he didn't win it just for this scene but you know he goes through it all here like he's cocky at first like him picking up the cigarettes instead of the gun and like talking through what's gonna happen and then reacting to the pain of the bullet and being like angry about it oh you motherfucker you shot me in the ass and stuff like that and like, it's, it's it's very much the Oscars don't necessarily nominate best acting it's kind of most, most acting. acting of course yes. he definitely is doing the most acting he sure in this is. movie and like you know like, him threatening all of the thugs seeming like he's got it all in hand but then every third word he's like Jake! And he's like to the end trying to make sure he's going to come back for it. I kind of wish that the gang members did kill him. Kind of, yes. In this scene I kind of wish that was the payoff which is you get the and I can picture it in my head because a million movies have done it of Jake walking away and you get the the gunshot in the background the gunshot in the background towards camera yeah, 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 like it, I mean, obviously it's it's overdone, but it feels so much more earned than what they do to. Him. Yeah, yeah, and like he's like I'm winning anyway, and he's laughing, and then you see the laughter like drain from his face again. Good stuff, but it's just moments like when when Eva Mendes takes her son away from the window and stuff like that because she doesn't want him to see this. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. we don't we don't get any payoff to her. He's humiliated. The version that Denzel read before he agreed to this, Alonzo gets away with everything, and he is he. He flees this scene and he doesn't get hilariously shot to death by the Russians one scene later. And he insisted, he was like, I will only do this movie if Alonzo dies or gets his comeuppance. And it's like, I feel it would have been a lot better if he was killed here in what he thought was his environment and like, you know, what he thought he was running instead of just some unknown Russians who just rock up at an intersection in the middle of the night and just shoot him to death and drive off. And it's like, I get that they're like, you know, oh, the Russians can do anything. They're above the law. Like, they're fucking crazy. But, yeah, I think it would have been... And I know this scene of him, like, talking them all down with nothing but threats when they have all the fucking leverage. It's like, yeah, that's great, but, like, what if someone killed him anyway afterwards? You know, like... Yeah, like, I mean, like, we never see the Russians, and it makes it, like... It's not like you need to yeah. pay off the Chekhov gun of the, the Russian mafia being there and stuff like that. Yeah, like, if you were going to do they... that, you needed to have, like, a Russian character, like, be in the film somewhere as, like, a looming threat. Yeah. But to just have them rock up as... I mean, they're not a deus ex machina because they're mentioned throughout, but, like, it just doesn't feel... There's no emotional connection there in the way no, that there no. would have been if he was killed by someone in, this, in the, you know, one of these gang members. But I'm also not entirely sold on that Alonso needed to die. Like, I understand being in, like, 2001, you want to paint a picture of, like, this is a bad cop. Mm-hmm. He needs to be punished. Yeah. But I think there's kind of, like, a more damning or interesting ending where Alonso just carries on doing this. Yeah, and like, Jake just pities him and like requests a fucking transfer or yeah like that that feels like so much more of like a stab in the gut which is like it doesn't matter that jake confiscated the million
Guardian yeah. and all these other little things. Like, obviously, you have to figure out some way around the Russian situation and all the rest of it. But just like, don't do it. <laughs> just don't, just don't do it. But like, just have Alonzo rob Roger because he wants some money instead of like needing desperately some cash. Yeah, it's just it's just that thing where it's just like th- that kind of damning indictment of like the corruption within the police force that this man could continue to operate after this rookie training officer. It's kind of horrible. It's but again, it's the kind of thing that and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna name another piece of media that deals with police officers dealing with drug enforcement now it's kind of the thing that the wire would have done which is that the corrupt police officer carries on going whilst the the, yeah. the good the cynical and damning and making you think about it ending instead of just and neatly this is over Goodbye, Alonzo. Yeah, Off goes yeah. Jake. I mean, it, it's not. It's not one hundred percent neat because, like, what's Jake? Jake's going to have to do the piss test, and he's going to test positive for PCP. Yeah, he's but just I mean, walked home with can... a million dollars in a bag. Yeah, I don't know. Like, no matter what happens, the man he spent all day with got murdered by the Russians. I mean, potentially, um, Alonzo's five there's... dudes don't stick up for him now. He's dead, and they go and they. Uh, and also, like... they never, they never got a cut of the money that they were promised. I said how like Ethan Hawke doesn't embarrass himself as like the white boy in this like very black movie. The end here is the only part where it kind of bothers me that it, it's a little bit white saviory. It's like, hey, hey, white dude, you're okay. You've befriended us, this like very scary gang. Off you go. And it's like there is that sort of white savior that Jake is the one that like prevails over all this. But then Alonzo does spend a decent portion of this film trying to exploit Jake's whiteness. I think like I feel I'm not saying like he had any sway in who his recruit was, but I, I think Jake being white certainly helped his plan as he envisioned it so I guess they can kind of get away with it because they do try and like use Jake's whiteness against him and then for it to not go as Alonzo planned I think that's that's fine but it is a tiny bit like oh and the white guy of course prevails but then as I said I really do like that ending of him getting home at the end of the day and the, the news report is about Alonzo exactly what he said it would be about Jake if he uh, you know them t- he survived by his wife and blah blah blah, blah. yeah, yeah on, on a macro level the script really works it feels not sick but like everything that you need paying off that no scene feels like wasted at the end of the day no, which, which is kind of like there's, there's nothing in there that you go like that is the easy cut that is the yeah. 20 minutes of the movie that you can cut out and make it leaner and tighter like everything pays off yeah it's either Denzel doing some very showy acting or it's funny or it's dickish or it's something that is going to pay off later like it's all there and it all works and yeah I mean this is a movie ultimately this is about the powerhouse performance of Denzel and this is that is the the legacy of the movie is, is Denzel's performance here I think it's interesting that like obviously we've done as I said like two very focused movies but like this is an example of a movie which is entirely elevated by its star if this movie had cast the wrong person Mm -hmm. then which I told you the name so it would have all been wrong (laughs) we probably wouldn't be talking about this movie and I think that's what makes this so fascinating which is that like this could have been bog standard pot boiler corrupt cop wheeling around town but instead you get I'm I'm not going to say like it's an all time top five acting performance but it's definitely something that like takes what is a quite pulpy script and turns it into something more than. I would say it is a top five, top ten performance of this decade. Sure. And that's why it's on here. (laughs) That's why I I put it forward. And it's, you know, I will never not go to that performance when I think of Denzel's career and I think of this genre of movie and stuff so that's that's really what you know that's why I've clung on to it throughout my movie watching life and it's why I was the one to put it forward and that's why we've been talking about it for the last yeah. hour I mean you, you look at you look <laughs> at who he's up against and it's like it's Russell Crowe for Beautiful Mind it's Sean Penn for I Am Sam Jesus Christ I'm so glad that movie 
didn't win. <laughs> Will Smith for Ali, Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom. Like, it is maybe Will Smith as Ali is it's Will Smith's best performance of his career. But, like, Denzel is the only one of that list that you go, like, that is still a performance that people talk about. It was, it's meme-worthy, it's, it's academy-worthy, it is commercial performance-worthy. Like, this is something that... Denzel Washington was obviously already a big name. Like, he's been putting up big performances for decades, literally. And I don't think... This wasn't necessarily, like, his biggest commercial hit, but it's certainly something that... It's a card he can sort of play whenever he wants. And like, he Where, can, What is his biggest commercial hit? I'm intrigued now. The Equalizer probably somehow made more money than this. I don't know, but... His highest-grossing movie domestically is American Gangster. Ah, of course. Hey, let's settle this beef between Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington by teaming <laughs> them up. Training Day is number 15 domestically on wow. his all-time... Well, there you go. But it's, I still feel it is a card that he can trade off for the rest of his career, and... Oh yeah, I mean like he he did deserve that Oscar based Absolutely. on like who who he was nominated up against. And I can't imagine there's anyone else from 2001 that you kind of put in there. Like I'm not going to say like oh I think Jake Gyllenhaal should have got a nomination for <laughs> for Donnie Darko yeah. or, or or something like that. It's yeah. And you know there are better written movies that didn't make this list than this. There are better directed movies that didn't make this list than this, but there are not a lot of performances of this level that didn't make this list and you know that's that's why it's here and that's 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 training day I guess unless you have any final thoughts on it no I think I've, I mean like unless you want to say like did you watch the TV show I didn't watch a second of the TV show I didn't even consider watching the TV I show I mean I mean rest, rest in peace Bill Paxton of course uh, but just just reading it like 15 years after the events of the film it's in continuity with the movie what? but just like but is like, someone the... playing someone's son nope I don't think there's anyone involved in the movie <laughs> then who is why like... is it it's, surely it's just a loose premise type th- uh, whatever we're not here to talk about the training day TV show next week we will be talking about a very different movie oceans 11 another matt pick it's been a matt heavy early portion of this list and we will get into some ben i mean this is when ben is like eight years old we're talking about at the moment like this is not this is not peak ben knowing what movies are like period this this is a movie that matt remembers the trailers coming out for and it being a big deal so that's how old matt fucking is at this i mean like we said at the top of this episode this movie is the fifth highest grossing movie of 2000 and 2001 this is still to this day like one of Clooney's like highest grossing films but that is for next week that is for next week we will be talking about Ocean's Eleven next week this has been there will be movies go to enterthereallworld.com go to soundcloud.com show us Mike and Matt check out everything we've got going on we're taping these well in advance so I don't know what to really promote but we will be back next week with Ocean's Eleven Ben are you able to ascertain will there be movies I think there will be movies okay for now we're going to tentatively confirm there will be movies thank you and goodbye And I did it for